If you're looking for a way to help birds or take your support to the next level, this May, I would love for you to join the Birds Canada Birdathon. It's easy to participate in and helps raise thousands of dollars for bird conservation. Learn more at birdscanada.org slash birdathon. Now let's get to the episode. From Birds Canada, this is The Work. This is The Wake Up Call, a special podcast series from The Warblers by Birds Canada. I'm Andrea Grass. And I am Andres Jimenez. We'll be speaking with experts about why these species are at risk, what conservation actions are being taken, and what we can all do to help. Just a quick note before we begin, we had some issues with the recording equipment this episode, so you'll hear some modest crackling throughout, but we'll have that issue fixed before the next one. Thanks, everyone. Hello, Warblers! I hope you liked our new theme. That theme is called Water Thrushing and was composed by the talented Jose Mora. Guess why it's called Water Thrushing? I think you might know that this is the call of a Louisiana water thrush. Thank you, Jody, for picking this species. It's one of the most beautiful warbler calls I've ever heard. And this is a new theme for a new series called The Wake Up Call, where we take a deep dive into certain bird species, their homes, the champions caring for them, and what you can do to help them on your day-to-day. Today, Andrea and I will be discussing species at risk with our producer Jody Allaire. Yeah, we asked Jody to join because he's got quite a depth of knowledge on this topic through his lifelong career of working with birds across Canada. But we're also doing something a little different today. As always, we invite an expert on the topic. Today's expert is Pete Davidson. But we struggled to find a time where all four of us could sit down to chat. So instead, Pete has recorded some important insights. We're going to play those back for you and then help break them down. This first episode is really going to set the stage for our juicier species-specific episodes down the line. After all, the wake-up call is going to be about Canada's most threatened and endangered species, who they are, why they're threatened, and what we can learn from those species if we listen to their calls for help. This series is... It comes to you with the support of Environment and Climate Change Canada. And we've selected an initial set of species that represent some of the biggest and most complex challenges that we need to deal with in order for us to save them. We're going to be talking about piping plovers. What else, Andrea? Oh, yeah. Whooping crane. We'll have um, burrowing owl. Leeches storm petrel. Marbled murrelet. Yeah, we're going to start with those five. And Bicanel's thrush. Ooh, and more. We're going to start with this species that have such a, a different lifestyle and such different and complex challenges that can illustrate a lot of our relationship to wildlife, but also how we undertake the big challenge of conserving the species. Yeah, and if you're thinking, whoa, 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 I don't think I've even heard of some of those birds, that is just fine. We're learning with you. We call in the experts and they help us dig into that. Pete has worked with Birds Canada for over 16 years on a whole variety of projects. And last year, he joined the Committee on the Status of Endangered Wildlife in Canada, which is more commonly known as Kasiwik. Yeah, Kosiwik has 10 subcommittees that represents the birds, terrestrial mammals, freshwater and marine fishes, marine mammals, vascular plants, mosses, lichens, amphibians, mollusks, Ooh. anthropods, whoa, we, if you name it, 
that's probably already on their radar. <laughs> so these subcommittees are built up of at least five experts in one of those relevant fields, and they've got knowledge, experience relevant to wildlife conservation. Uh, so we've got Pete here to tell us more about how it all works. Kosiwik oversees an independent body of experts, and that's the species specialist subcommittees, work through a standard evidence-based procedure to determine the status of each species. In a similar way to the process followed by the global IUCN red list, but actually in Canada it's a little bit more comprehensive, but there's kind of like three basic steps, each of which has a tangible outcome. So that starts uh, with the process of identifying the candidate species that the Kosiwik groups look after. So they decide, based on the available evidence, which species are getting close to or probably exceeding the thresholds uh, to be listed. And then we go through the process of generating a status report and providing a specific assessment determining the criteria and the categories that the species might meet. And then that's approved by Kosiwik at the uh, at the highest level and passed on to the minister to make the recommendation. So that's kind of how the selection process occurs for every single species at risk. That was Pete Davidson giving an intro to how the Committee on the Status of Endangered Wildlife in Canada, Kosiwik, works. This is an independent advisory panel to the Minister of Environment and Climate Change Canada that meets twice a year to assess the status of wildlife species at risk of extinction. But how is it actually done? I mean, listing a species at risk. Here is Pete again, explaining it for birds. So the work is quite varied and it involves applying our individual knowledge of birds and threats to birds, making decisions based on scientific evidence or in cases where the evidence is not as extensive as you'd like, making a judgment call based on our experience. Some of the most important data sources that we rely on within the birds specialist subcommittee come from citizen science surveys, in particular the breeding bird survey and the Christmas bird count, which provide really long-term trends for most individual species. And that's one of the main things we look at when making an assessment, supplemented with information from programs like breeding bird atlases and marsh monitoring. Process is both technical and thorough, and we often spend a great deal of time deciding which criteria a species meets, and that defines which category of risk. Now, the criteria are really specific, and for the Kosiwik process, they mirror the IUCN global process almost exactly. In a nutshell, the themes that trigger a species to be at risk are whether or not the population is declining above a certain rate, whether or not it occupies a geographic area less than a certain square kilometrage, and the population is also declining. If the population is relatively small and declining, or if it is very small, less than a thousand individuals, even if it's stable, that still triggers a, uh, a species at risk criterion. A species becomes a candidate and then we gather all the knowledge and information we have about that species, we compile it, and that is used to assess the risk of extinction or extirpation. We get that knowledge from you, from people, from thousands of people being out there 
gathering the information, seeing the animals, and reporting them. Loving that shout out to all the researchers and citizen scientists. Sometimes we don't even notice a population decline unless it's actively being researched and tracked. You know, this process is really quite fascinating, and it requires a lot of information sharing and meetings with all the right people. And Part of me really likes that we have, you know, the top minds and the experts really diving deep into what needs to be done for some of our most endangered birds. I really like that. So there's a lot of thought going into which species need the most help. Why don't we find out what happens after a species is recommended? Once the Kosiwik committees have made their determination, that information is then passed to the Minister of Environment who recommends to Cabinet whether or not to list a species under Schedule 1 of the Species at Risk Act. And it is then the responsibility of the Governor in Council to actually list the species under Schedule 1 of the Act. This whole process can actually take several years, which is one shortcoming of having a, such a thorough, comprehensive process. I mean, I estimate the average for the Kosiwik assessment process, at a guess, is kind of maybe one and a half to maybe two years for more complex species. But it can then take another two years before the species is listed if extended consultations are opened by the government, uh, which often happens for species uh, that occur on lands with lots of different stakeholders, lots of different management jurisdictions. <sighs> Up to two years for complex species. That's how long this process can take. Yeah, and it is one of the challenges, right? Because it's not just the amount of time it takes to get to a state of recommending a species for listing. There's also can be a delay between being recommended and then being formally listed. So sometimes it actually takes quite a period of time before, especially complex species, in order to get into the Species at Risk Act. Let's step back a little bit. We keep using the term species at risk, which I know is a common term amongst wildlife conservation type folks in Canada. But I think the average person is more familiar with words like endangered or extinct. So what exactly is a species at risk? In the phrase species at risk, the at risk bit means it's at risk of extinction in the wild in the medium term future or at risk of extirpation, which is a word a little bit like extinction, but it means the loss of a species from a geographic area, but not the entire loss of the species. So yeah, there are, there are different levels of risk of extinction. And on the global scale, this is kind of usually defined as critically endangered, endangered and vulnerable by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, IUCN. In Canada, we got a similar series of categories applied, but the names are a bit different. So the highest level of risk is endangered, the next level is threatened, and the next is special concern. One point of clarification that sometimes confuses people is that whilst the term is species at risk, in some places, including Canada, it is technically a taxon and not necessarily a full species. It could even, in fact, be a subspecies, not just a subspecies, but even just a, a distinct population within a subspecies. So, Jody, what is interesting about this? Can you decompose a bit what it means by taxon level or, or how this subspecies versus species needs to be understood? I actually really like this way of doing it because it's looking at the, you know the population of birds and if there's 
across the country. And if there's a species or a subspecies in one part of the country that's not doing as well as its other range in another part of the country, then it's treated differently by Kasiwik and by Sarah. So that's a way of really kind of focusing in on the populations that need the most conservation work. A really good example of this is the barn owl. Out in British Columbia, the barn owl is a threatened species. They're quite rare, but they're, uh, no, they're exceedingly rare, really. But they can be seen more frequently, especially around the Vancouver area, than really anywhere else in, in Canada. But in Ontario, the barn owl is endangered, and habitat loss and pesticide use and all sorts of changes to the landscape have made them really critically endangered. And it's a species I actually used to work on in, in southern Ontario, and they're, they're not doing well. They're treated differently by Kasiwik. They look differently on the SARE registry as well, in order to create a clear picture of how each population is doing. Andrea, is this the same for piping plovers that, that might experience a different dynamic through the country? Piping plovers are considered endangered all across Canada, everywhere that they breed. But the population in the Great Lakes is a different subspecies. And they were actually extirpated from Ontario for 30 years. So they returned to breed in 2007 after a 30-year absence. And they, they have really specific conservation needs. And so I think looking at your regional populations... And really checking in on the population status in each region that can help us to, you know, see what's happening and where we need to focus our efforts. Pete will give us another excellent example, one that is very familiar to many of you that might have grown in rural parts of Canada, seeing the barn swallows on the fields. So let's hear from Pete on the barn swallows. It was previously assessed by Kosiwik as being threatened about a decade back because of long-term ongoing declines right across the country. But those appear to have stabilised in part because the population in Saskatchewan is doing really well. This species is kind of typical of a whole range of widespread species that get classified as threatened because the speed at which they're declining is above a certain threshold. It's usually at 30% in three generations or 10 years, whichever is uh, the shorter. So far... We have started learning from Pete about the governance of a species at risk, which means the process in which we humans, to be specific Canadian humans, decide and determine that one species has declined and needs to be protected with all the complexities and challenges that that could mean. We have learned that as part of this process, there is an independent advisory committee called COSIWI. Who do they advise? Well, the Environmental Authority in Canada, which is Environment and Climate Change Canada. And it can take this committee up to two years of data gathering and review to recommend a species for inclusions at risk. Whoa, two years. We also learn that there are different levels of at risk in Canada. We refer to them as endangered, that is the most critical category. Then there is threatened. And finally, we have the species of special concern. This means species and populations that we're paying attention to because they have shown a decline. At this point, you might be wondering, where is all this information? Is there a law? Well, yes, there is. And Pete's going to introduce us to that law that governs species at risk in Canada. 
the main policy at the national or federal level is the Species at Risk Act. This was passed in 2002 and came into full effect in 2004. And the purpose of the law is to prevent species from going extinct, to provide the recovery of extirpated species like the piping plover. So the piping plover was extirpated for 30 years, but it came back. Um, And it's also to provide the recovery of endangered or threatened wildlife and to manage species of special concern so they do not become threatened. So that's kind of the purpose of the uh, of the federal act. That's the main piece of legislation. In addition, six provinces have specific legislation to protect species at risk. They are Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba and Newfoundland and Labrador. Several provinces have amended existing wildlife laws to deal explicitly with species at risk. This is kind of an alternative approach to having a specific species at risk piece of legislation. And other provinces and territories are working on developing legislation. One example, British Columbia has some provisions in the Wildlife Act and the Forest and Range Practices Act. And it has a process that lists species as red, blue or yellow. Red being the highest category risk, blue, lower risk and yellow is not at risk. So there's different approaches in different provinces. Okay, so we've got federal species at risk, federal endangered species, um, but then we've also got provincial levels. So what happens, Jody, if a species that is recommended for protection doesn't actually get protected by the legislation? Like, does that ever happen? It's a really good question. I'm not sure if it's ever happened where a recommendation was not accepted, but there can be really long delays happening. And, and one I'll reference is, is the Cerulean Warbler uh, was on the list for recommendation for a very, very long time. Uh, and, it, and it took forever to finally get in to be adopted by SARA, uh, but the Species at Risk Act. But one of the other interesting things that you get is that because you have federal species at risk legislation, and you also can have provincial species at risk legislation, sometimes in provinces you can have two lists of endangered and threatened species. And I think for the most part, those two lists completely line up. But there are examples when they don't. And one of those was actually a bird that I worked on for about seven years was uh, the bald eagle, in especially the Southern Ontario population of bald eagle, which provincially was an endangered species until 2011, but federally was not considered an endangered species at all. So there was a situation where regionally in a province, there was still a species that was endangered, but federally was not considered endangered. And even though that sounds like it may cause more problems, what it does allow is for continued protection and for us to continue to monitor those birds and for them to have a certain level of protection in Ontario. So there actually wasn't a negative twist to that. And eventually they ended up being delisted because their populations are doing really well. So as it turns out, Pete Davidson has some statistics on how often this happens. And it might be more common than we originally anticipated. And even though this might not be a big issue with birds, there seems to be a group bias. Let's hear it from Pete. A recent publication in the journal Ecoscience found that more than one quarter of all COSIWIC recommendations are not followed through by the federal government to the protection stage of listing under the Species at Risk Act. 
birds, reptiles and plants are more likely to be legally protected than other species. And arthropods and fishes are less likely to be protected. Um, unlisted fish species being twice as likely to be threatened by resource use than other unlisted species. And that's what's bringing us into this series, The Wake Up Call. We want to dig into some of Canada's most threatened and endangered species, the ones that really need work. The ones that, you know, a blanket solution isn't going to work for them. They need specific help. You know, of course, piping plover comes to mind, but we're going to get into so many other species as well. And the very puzzling ones, we're going to look into some species in which we cannot find a murder weapon, you know, in which there are so many reasons and it's such an elaborate social context around them that it makes, makes it very challenging to protect them. That's actually one of the things I'm really excited about with this series is to have the opportunity to educate and communicate about some of these lesser known species at risk that people don't uh, maybe have never heard of before. But I think it's really important for people to hear these stories, these challenges of some of these birds like marbled murrelet and piping plover. Personally, you know, as someone who's worked on species at risk for over two decades, I've seen species decline in my time. And it's very, very frustrating to, to see some of the challenges that birds like Louisiana water thrushes and Acadian flycatchers here in Canada are, are dealing with, amongst others. One of the solutions is is awareness. And uh, and that's why I'm really excited about, about this series. Talking about our species at risk legislation, you know, I'm happy that we have it. There are places that don't have a group of people that sit around and think seriously about how to protect their most vulnerable species. And I'm really happy Canada has that, but there's still lots of work to do. Andrea, and what about our international listeners? What are they going to get? Oh, I think they're going to get a lot of insights as well, because so many of the species that we deal with here in Canada are migratory species. You know, their threats just aren't here in Canada. They're in the wintering ground as well. And I think people will learn a lot about species that maybe they didn't realize were wintering near them. And this will be very interesting for international listeners too, in the sense, and Pete is going to assure us about this, in the sense that what COSIWIC does and how we handle species at risk also takes account information that comes from other countries, and it's not solely focused in Canada. Let's listen to Pete. We don't only look at threats in Canada. We look at threats throughout the full life cycle of whatever the species is. And for a lot of our birds, that's a migration that spans at least the continent, maybe the hemisphere. And what we try to do is get as accurate and up-to-date information on threats as possible, including outside of Canada. So that often involves corresponding with colleagues in Central America, South America, certainly the US and Mexico, and sometimes even other jurisdictions where we've got birds that might be migrating across the Pacific or down into Europe. So for all our listeners, what is it that you can do now? Well, pay attention over the next few months. We're going to be uh, rolling out several episodes starting very, very soon. We're also still going to have regular episodes coming, but we're going to prioritize our new Wake Up Call series for the next few months. And Andrea finally gets to have her sole episode on piping plovers, which yeah. is incredible. I hope everybody else is excited too. Yeah, these deep dives into various species are going to be really incredible. I think we're all going to learn a lot. And I'm really excited for our listeners to learn a lot. So stay tuned. You're going to be thinking about the birds around you and the birds that you can't see. And, and it's, it's just going to be incredible. And reach out. If you love the wake-up call, if you love what you're listening, 
reach out on social media, give us a shout, send us question, let us know you love it so we can bring you more. Warblers is produced by Andres Jimenez, Jody Allaire, Andrea Gress, Ruth, Friendship Keller, and Kate Goldish. This episode was edited by Greg McLaughlin and engineered by Katie Jan, with the music by Jose Mora and art by Alex Nichol. Until next time, keep birding. <laughs>